Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. I've been waiting two days and it's finally my turn. Skipper says, go on, put your hand in there. Jack says, go on, come on, come on, you can do this. So I shoved my hand in, I didn't know what to expect. Do anything? I can't go, oh yeah, there, yeah. Don't let him out. Oh, oh, block it. Oh, oh. Tim has got his hand in the oh. hole. Oh. Little did he know what lay in store for him. Oh, okay. When I stuck my hand in there, at first all I could feel was the rock. Stay in. Okay, hold on. Feel for him. Feel okay. For him. But then I felt something slimy, something scaly, and I realized I had it by the tail. That is slimy. Ooh. Oh, I gotta get oh okay, Jesus, here we go. <laughs> he is really cutting up. <laughs> He's really putting it on. <laughs> He's a hauling. <laughs> He's screaming. <laughs> He's ducking. There you go. Come on, Lord. Come on. Here we go. He's diving. Come on. He is after this fish like a duck on a jumbo. Come on, you can do it. I have it by the tail. I may need two hands to pull this thing out. Bugger! Yeah. Come here, you bugger. All right, all right. Get your fingers in his mouth. Okay. He's losing. Got Come on. Oh. He ain't got nothing. Just squeeze his head both hands. Squeeze him Come tight on. and bring him up. Now, you got to hold him up there for three seconds to be a catch. Yeah, come on! When he pulls this fish out, it's only this big. I think I caught a bigger fish at McDonald's, playoff fish. All right, welcome back, everybody. To uh, yeah, good to see you guys. Hey, this is this is a series we're calling Big Fish. I guess we could have named it Little Fish uh, or Fileo Fish, as Pastor Tom likes to remind me. Uh, I probably should set the record straight, tell you what what happened there. If you watch the show, then you know um, from the first two days, everybody was pulling in these pretty big fish. You know, thirty pounders out of these waters in, in Oklahoma, and uh, honestly, these were huge fish, and then Pastor Tom, of all people, gave birth to a fish, a 20-pounder. Uh, it took him over an hour to bring that thing in, and so when it came my turn, the pressure was totally on, and I was very excited at that point because I, I had no idea it was this tiny two-pounder because what happens is our hillbilly hosts, they play you a little bit, okay? Um, when we came to that rock, uh, Skipper goes, okay, stick your hand in. And he goes, okay, yeah. And I stuck my hand in. And he goes, whoa, 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 don't just stick it in there. If that's a 50-pound flathead, he'll break every finger in your hand. <laughs> and suddenly you're like, oh, okay. You know, you, your mind starts going and playing. And you're like, oh, 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 oh. And then all of a sudden you pull out a Swedish fish. You know, it's like about that big. You know, it's a little two-pounder. And uh, there's the hillbilly thought It was hilarious. Um, public humiliation always is. So, uh, but those of you who watch the full show, you know... There was poetic justice in the end. I got a second chance, and let's just say I brought the gold back to New Jersey. Can we acknowledge this here? The fake plastic gold. <laughs> Gleaming, beautiful. Oh, I don't want to tarnish the, uh, the fake plastic there. Uh, but it was an amazing time, and it really you know, kind of bottom of the ninth uh, a moment to kind of turn things around. I got a second chance, and, and that's kind of what I want to talk about uh, today as we kind of continue our study of the book of Jonah, this prophet, this preacher who God said, come out of your comfort zone. He got schooled 
by a big fish, and then God gave him a second chance. Um, if you're just joining us, here's the deal. Our story is very, very simple. Uh, the Bible says the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go preach, remember this, to the Ninevites. Nineveh, it's the most wicked city on earth. This is like Long Island. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. They were known for their violence. Whenever the Ninevites sacked the city, they would skin their victims alive. They actually raped the women and burned the children. So this was significant wickedness. The Ninevite army would actually cut the heads off their enemies, set the skulls in a pyramid at the city gates as a calling card. Wicked, violent people. And God said, I'm going to actually destroy them unless you go to them, Jonah, and they repent. They turn from their ways. So God said, go. Jonah said, no. He took a boat to Tarshish. God sends a storm, not to pay him back, but to bring him back. And what we learned is that whenever God gives us an assignment in our life, Jonah shows us sometimes he'll permit storms to draw us back to his plans and purposes, even if we go off course. And, and during the storm, Jonah is actually thrown overboard into the ocean. He would have drowned, except that God provided a gift. He provided a great fish to swallow the man. What looked like it might kill him, God used to save him, and he was in the belly of the beast three days and three nights. Now, last week, Pastor Tom did a brilliant job kind of describing Jonah's anguish, his utter despair, his Sarah prayer from the belly of the beast, if you were here. And many of you, we gave you a chance actually to uh, write down your Sarah prayers, your, your prayers of anguish or distress, where you said, God, if you could hear me in the belly of the beast, here's where I'm at. These were very, very powerful prayers. I'll just let you know, um, we felt humbled and honored that you would entrust these to us. We prayed for each one as a staff this past week. And um, some of these were very touching. I, I, I pulled out just a few of them. Somebody wrote, Father, you know I'm struggling with a painful season of loneliness and defer deferred hope. Help me fix my eyes on you and your loving and your unfailing love. I need you and don't want to give in to fear or depression. I believe you will um, change my heart and circumstances when the time is right. This person's praying for sobriety and salvation. God, I feel like I'm stuck in a room with no doors and bolted windows. I see happiness all around, and all I long for is a family. Somebody's struggling with, it, with their marriage uh, and, their, and their kids. Please help me to treat my body as the temple it is. Help me overcome my addiction to food. I have great lust issues that are in my mind all the time. I need help. I, I need help being able to afford college. Some students returning, and they're saying, you know, I'm going out of a, a good season right now at home into the darkness that sometimes is my situation at school. So people with all these just deeply heartfelt Sarah prayers, and we, we prayed for every one of those because we believe God hears those, particularly when we're, we're raw and honest from, from your heart. And um, God heard Jonah's prayer, his Sarah prayer. That was the hope. He heard the prophet's plea. It says, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. <laughs> a preacher covered in fish guts. This is a nice moment. That's where we are as we open chapter 3. You can turn there in your Bible. Would you take that out, page 645? This is hard to imagine what Jonah looked like at this point. Um, I was down in Ocean City um, this past week on vacation with family, we did some fishing, we did some crabbing in the bay, we pulled up these spider crabs, we caught a couple of sand sharks about that big. Uh, my little boy uh, held that shark like it was like, you know, like Lenny from Of Mice and Men. I'll hold it and squeeze it and touch it and love it. I actually really felt compassion for the shark. Uh, it was amazing. But we're sitting there on the dock, and I'm thinking about Jonah 3, because I know we're going to be talking about this this Sunday, and I was like, I want, I'm, I'm trying to imagine what it was like to be sitting on the dock, and all of a sudden... A whale comes in and vomits 
a preacher onto the dock, you know? I'm like, now that's a fish story. Imagine what Jonah looked like at this point. He's covered in fish guts. He's probably bleached white from the stomach acids. But now God's like, I finally have you where I want you. We'll pick up together. Read with me. Jonah 3, verse 1. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a what? A second time. The beauty of second chances. You can circle that phrase a second time in your notes because I want to give you the Hebrew word for this. The Hebrew word is shani, and what it means is again, a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, a shani, again. In other words, God's grace, what we're learning, is actually very persistent. The first time around, Jonah completely flunked God's tests, but fortunate for him, he's a God of second chances, a God of a shani, again. Now, now today, my prayer is that God is going to come to some of you a shaney. He's going to come a second time or a third time or a fourth time, whatever it is that you need, um, because you may have put God off. Uh, he's reminding you on Sundays about he wants to be number one in your life. And over the last few weeks, maybe you felt him drawing you towards him and he's coming to you again, a shaney. He's giving you a second chance to respond. Uh, maybe you have some unfinished business with God. Uh, you know the Lord, but he's given you a specific assignment now in your life. It's to reach out to somebody to forgive them or to apologize, and, and you haven't done it yet, and, and you come to on Sunday, and God reminds you, a shaney again, will you obey me in this area? This is how it works with God. He's, his grace is persistent. God may tell you to go do something, to, to something scary, to end a relationship yeah, that doesn't honor him, and you know you're supposed to, but you haven't done it yet. You've put it off, and God comes to you, a shaney, a second time, a third time, a fourth time, I got an email this week that illustrates this. Somebody wrote, Pastor Tim, I'm hoping you can help connect the dots. My girlfriend and I are one of the couples who spoke to you after the service about living together. Remember that? We did that like a, week, uh, a month ago. Although we've been roommates for almost a year, we were convicted to honor God in our relationship and put purity ahead of convenience. We talked about it at length, but then after the work week started, our conviction kind of faded. That's honest. Then three weeks later, you talk about lag time. Remember the time it talks between like, God giving you his truth and the time we obey? He said, it was like God tapped us on the shoulder again. So this past week, out of nowhere, my sister had forwarded me this article about the dangers of cohabitation from a secular magazine, no less. And now I'm starting to think God is getting out his bullhorn. <laughs> it's like, I love that. It's like he won't let the issue drop until I do something about it. Have you ever had one of these experiences where God puts his finger directly on a specific issue in your life and suddenly you can't escape it? It's like it comes up in conversations or a, a verse or a passage kind of jumps out at you or, or you get sent an article or someone starts talking about it out of the blue at school or at work. And you're like, you know, what is this? Is this a coincidence? No, it's a shaney. It is a God coming to you a second time again out of his grace and says, I want you to walk in the truth of my word. I don't want you to just talk about it. I don't want you to just agree with it. I want you to obey it. And the word of the Lord will come to you as shaney again at certain points like it did with Jonah. And the question facing us is, will you act now and go in the new direction that God has for your life? That's what Jonah does here in chapter 3. Look at verse 2. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a shaney a second time. And then it says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Circle the word go there in verse 2. Give you two more Hebrew words here. Props to, uh, actually, this is a pastor in Oklahoma. His name is Craig Rochelle. He does a brilliant job kind of unpacking these, these Hebrew insights. And the two Hebrew words are kalal, can we go back there? We have kumulak. Look at my pronunciation. 
I just spit a lot when I say Hebrew. It means to, to go immediately, to go now, to go suddenly, without delay. In other words, don't even waste a second thinking about it. Just do it. You see, when God comes to you as Shaney, you cumulac. When, when God shows grace with your false start, he's slow to anger. He gives you a second chance. You, you go immediately. You cumulac. You obey God, and here's why. You do it quickly because if you don't, you may be tempted to talk yourself out of it. <laughs> Notice God doesn't like give Jonah a chance to even catch his breath. This guy's standing here. He still smells like fish guts. And God says, I want you to go now like I told you in chapter one. Cumulac. And there's a reason that God calls us to obedience instantly and, and, not, uh, and to avoid lag time. Because when God puts it on your heart to do something. Have you ever had, to, had that? Where God's like, I want you to, to donate this money. Or I want you to give this, this thing away. Or take the step of faith. If you don't do it immediately, you give an opening to the enemy. And he'll get in there and tell you, oh, just wait a minute. I know you just went to church and you're all hyped up. I get it. But slow down. Can we just talk this out? Let's just think about this a minute. And he'll pour on all these doubts or rationalizations. Like, like well, God will provide somebody else to help. You don't have to make that move right now. Think about this. He will give you all sorts of excuses of why you shouldn't obey immediately. I had a meeting this past uh, uh, week that uh, left me shaking my head, honestly, not in disappointment, but in awe. This was incredible. There's a woman in our church and one of our, our campuses who is a high-powered executive. She is uh, very successful in her business, but for some time, she has felt God calling her to actually leave her corporate career for a position in nonprofit ministry, and th that's no small switch, okay? You don't get rich with, with ministry. Everybody who works at our church could be earning a ton more in the secular world using their talents, but they're here for a reason. Because God called them here. And you can't put like a price tag when God calls you to do something. So for my friend, this was like a huge switch for her. She, she was kind of scary because it meant leaving the security of a prestigious job. She had a great salary, benefits, all of that. She had power, respect. She was on the fast track actually for promotion. And yet God has come to her a shaney again and again about this to the point where she said, Tim, I feel like I have to pull the trigger. Otherwise, I risk disobeying him. And she said, I'm finally at this point where I'm like more scared to miss out on my calling than to actually miss out on my big payday. So she wanted to meet and we met and I thought it was just to talk through how that process might happen. And she walks in and she goes, I did it. I go, you did what? She goes, I handed in my resignation papers. She go, I go, are you serious? She goes, I'm leaving my job She's in, in, to come do this. And I, I was just like, <gasps> I tried not to show it. I was like, wow. <laughs> you know? That's a step of faith. Oh my gosh, I can't believe she did that. I encounter very few Christians who when they hear God calling them to do something, cumulac, do it now, do it immediately, they actually do it. They obey like that. I, I can count them on one hand. And this woman, she was fired up. She had her coworker. She goes, they all told me I'm nuts. They said, why not wait a few more, year, more years? She's this close to VP. She's like, you could bank all that money. And she said, no, no. She goes, that's not faith. Faith is stepping out even when you can't see where that next step's going to land. You're trusting God to help you land okay. Most people wait till they get our ducks in a row, right? And that our housing and our severance, everything's lined up. And she goes, I want to walk by faith, not by sight. That's what we're talking about, right? I'm like, yes. I just think so few people actually do it. So I put my arm around. I just hugged her because it inspired me. This is so rare. And I thought it challenged me. I was like, what risks am I taking for God lately? What, what whispers... Am I hearing his spirit tell me, but I'm actually ignoring or putting off? That actually may be central to this bigger story of redemption 
that God wants to write with your life. God calls Jonah a first time, a second time, a shaney, and after an initial delay, he cumulac. He goes immediately, which is supposed to be normal for Christ followers. Obedience is kind of the rubber test of how much we really trust God. I mean, we may, you, may be, you may be saved by God. You've prayed the prayer. You trust Jesus to forgive your sins. But now do you obey him? Do you, do you follow him, trust him with your next assignment? A lot of people, maybe it's you, I, I could tell from these cards, feel like they want to follow God, but they're like, my faith is too small, or my failure disqualifies me. I've just done something in my past, or my life is a wreck, and God can't use me. You would be dead wrong. The God of Jonah is a God of second chances. Failure and suffering do not disqualify you from ministry. They actually make you useful to God. I'll say that again. Failure and suffering actually make you useful to God. Amen? If you're divorced and you're like, I don't know if I have a chapter two, Jonah says, think again. If you've failed in some area of your life, God actually doesn't mind. It just gives his grace the opportunity to do its magic. It's, God's grace is like one of these. You guys know what this is? You guys know what this is? You remember this? In Oklahoma, they call this a laptop. This, this, is, this is an Etch-A-Sketch, okay? This is... This is kind of like iPad 1.0, right? This is like, it's so funny. I gave this to my kids this week, and they're like, they're trying to swipe it. They're like, it's not working. I was like, well, they're like, it has two buttons. I'm confused, you know? As a kid, I love my Etch-A-Sketch because you, you twist the knobs, right, to draw the picture. But if you screw up, what do you do? You, 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 sh- you shake it, or as Pastor Tom says, shake what your mama gave you, okay? And all of a sudden, magic you get a clean slate. You get a do-over. That's what grace is. That's what Jesus' blood does. It covers you. It washes you clean, and then you receive a fresh start, his righteousness, a do-over. All our mistakes, it's wiped away. Grace is God's second chance. God loves using his etch-a-sketch in our life. He doesn't just forgive us, He says, I'm going to take your failure or your suffering, and then I'm going to use it. I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to draw something beautiful with it, just like he did with Jesus. All Jesus' pain and scars, he still had them, but they're a testament to God's power and grace. And God used Jonah. His original failure made him actually humble and dependent, sensitive to his own need for grace. And because he failed in the belly of that fish, he was finally useful as God's tool and mouthpiece to reach other people. This is, so ins- this is so encouraging to screw-ups like me. Amen? Anybody else here? Failure and suffering don't disqualify you. They make you useful to God. God uses Jonah's. God uses Peter. God loves to use his etch-a-sketch. And his grace can give you a second chance or a third or a fourth. A shame you don't waste your life. With God's grace, you can be the dad or mom that your children need, even if you screwed up in the early years. If you have compromised sexually, don't just throw in the towel and say, oh, I messed up, I blew it, that's just who I am. Receive Christ's forgiveness. Recommit your life to following him. He will cleanse you, and if he calls you once, don't miss it ashamedly. Cumulac, go now. That's what Jonah does, verse 3. It says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. I, I was reading these, and I'm like, I believe with my heart, God, that God, for some of you, this series is going to be a turning point in your life. Some of you will actually decide this morning today to obey what God has been showing you or calling you to. I believe that. And by his grace, you're going to make a change here, and then God's power is going to flood into your life, and and, and things are going to happen. 
That's what repentance is. It's when you're going this way, you hear God's word, and you say, I'm going to do a 180 and go in a new direction. Let's read this because I love this. This is just a beautiful picture of God's grace when people truly repent. Now, listen to this. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city, and he proclaimed, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be, what's the word? Say it together. Overturned. Yeah, and this is an interesting word choice, overturned. It's one of those words like in the Hebrew like has a double meaning. It could mean like overturned and destroyed, shaken out, or overturned and finally actually set right. In other words, you can turn something over and shake it and destroy it, or you can, you can turn it upright and actually save it. And Jonah's message to the Ninevites is actually very simple. 40 days from today, you're going to get turned over and destroyed, or you can voluntarily turn things around with God and make things right with him. This is a very simple and sober message. Jonah's like, there's no in-between. There's 40 days. God has a time limit with you. And this is the underbelly of grace. With God's grace, God's grace, his love, his forgiveness, it's limitless. Your time is limited. God has infinite grace. There is, there is no wrecked life that he can't redeem. No matter what you've done, where you've been, God can give you a second chance. But human time is limited. And Jonah's message is basically, this is a limited time offer. 40 days, and your world's going to get rocked. It's going to get turned upside down. Be real candid. Statistically, some of you here today, you will not be here next year. That's not a threat. That's actuarial science. It's reality. I received an update from a friend um, in, uh, from my college days uh, last week. I hadn't seen him in like nine, ten years. He went to law school. We kind of lost track. We like Facebooked like seven years ago. And last Tuesday, I got word that he actually died. He's 36 years old. Was working in the city, law school, and now he's gone. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just stating the truth of what Jonah's saying. God's grace is unlimited. Your time is not. Tomorrow is not promised to any of us. It can happen to individuals. Their life gets turned over. It can happen to institutions like that. Something you thought was solid and immovable here for decades gets tragically overturned. Think of the Penn State scandal from this past spring. You guys watched that whole thing unfold? That was jaw-dropping to me, just jaw-dropping. It happened so quickly. I mean, only months after the allegations came out, the entire university got overturned. The president, Joe Paterno, you know, and Joe Paterno got fired too. Sandusky was sent to prison for life. The entire credibility of this massive monolithic institution gets turned upside down. Joe Paterno, good man, yeah, but maybe turned a blind eye to some evil that went on in his locker room. Didn't want to, didn't want to acknowledge it. And he's dead within weeks. The, they got slammed, a $60 million fine, stripped of all their bullwins, and the, as the cover of SI says, we were Penn State. In other words, things will never be the same. Now, whether you think that was fair or not, one thing is certain. That entire community, College Station, was overturned, shaken to its core because one very, very wicked man tried to cover up or hide his secret sin. The sin of one individual 
can bring down an entire institution. A college, a church, a family. Speak straight to you. Some of you are putting off your return to Christ. You've backslidden for a while, or you may have made some sort of peace with your sin, or some sort of secret pact, or you're just complacent about your faith. I get it, that happens. But then God sends his word through some flawed, fooled preacher like Jonah or me to remind you, this is a limited time offer. Don't put it off and think, oh, I'll get serious once I graduate, or once I get married, or once I have kids, or when the kids grow up, then we'll, we'll fix our marriage. You are living the good old days. That's today. Your time's limited. God's mercy is not. This is hard, guys. I, I don't love preaching this part because I don't like Jonah's sermon. First off, it's too short. It's eight words. <laughs> but it's very sober. He doesn't use flowery language. He just says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. See, whether or not you're walking with God, he gives you a choice. You can turn your life around, or I'll do it for you. you. You can turn the dials and think you have time to paint your masterpiece until the bell rings, and I just shake it all out. Your call. A voluntary turning where you come to receive Christ and receive grace, or an involuntarily shaking where everything else is wiped away in judgment. You choose. I know, this is not exactly a seeker-friendly sermon, is it? I blame Jonah for it. Um, it's kind of funny, I'll just give you a time out. As somebody who kind of preaches for a living, I was thinking this week about how I might frame this message if I had to, like, preach this to the Ninevites. First off, my sermons are not eight words. Uh, nobody nowadays typically likes to use words like repentance or judgment. They're not seeker-friendly. And the Ninevites are a pretty tough crowd, right? You know, you see the human pile of skulls uh, by the doors. And so I'm thinking, if you have to deliver the truth, you got to start with, like, a funny story, like, well, good morning, Ninevites. So good to see y'all, Ninevites, this morning. Hey, I was on the way to the supermarket, and I just kind of tripped over three stones to happiness. Because God wants you to be happy, happy, happy all the time. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am a snowflake. Go ahead, turn to your neighbor. <laughs> Listen, I could soften this up for you, okay? I could downplay God's truth in a way that's easier to swallow, but I don't think some of you want that. I actually believe some of you, this is a moment of decision this morning. Like, are you all in to give all of your life to Christ or keep playing footsie with faith? Well, I like church. I like liquid. I like Star 99.1. God is not calling you to lukewarm religion. He's calling you to repentance. And it's a limited time offer. You may have 40 days, you may have 40 weeks, you may have 40 years, only God knows. His grace is unlimited, your time is not. That's not my word, that's God's word, okay? And you ignore that at your peril. What's amazing to me is it says the Ninevites believed God. The people who were farthest from him actually choose to come clean and draw close to him. And this is an encouraging word. If you're like, I, I, I can't believe there's a second chance for me. If God can do this with the Ninevites, okay, wipe the slate clean and he can give you a spiritual do-over. And let me tell you something about the Ninevites. When it, this verse, the Ninevites believe God, four words. If you were living in the Middle East at this moment and you heard this, these words, the Ninevites believe God, you'd be like, 
No stinking way, okay? I don't believe it. The Ninevites turned to God. This would be as radical as if I said, hey, guys, did you hear the news? Howard Stern gave his life to Jesus. He's doing a radio show on sexual purity now. It's amazing. He's just, it just, it, j- j- you'd be like, whatever, dude, never happened. It's true. Lady Gaga is a gospel singer now. She's singing about Christ. You're like, whatever. Revival's breaking out in New York City. The Crips and the Bloods, they, they, they call the truce. They have a boys' choir now. Uh, they're, they're using the organ at Yankee Stadium for worship. It's incredible. Baptizing people in the Hudson, it's unbelievable. Wall Street, they're, they're giving the money back to the poor, the one, you know, the 1%. Oh, you'd be like, no stinking way. That's how it would have sounded to the neighbors of the Ninevites. They're like, there's no way. These people are too far gone. They're too far from God. Their hearts are hard. They're violent. They got blood on their hands. Some of you right now, if you're listening online, you're hearing this, and people look at you and think, yeah, she is so far from God. But you actually know a secret, that he's been talking to you all along. He's been drawing you, and you would actually say, you know what, I'm actually very close to this. You're actually leaning in. You're hearing the messages. God's word speaking to you, and you're taking it to heart. The Ninevites believed God, and it says they got serious. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. You guys know what sackcloth is? It's kind of like, like burlap, okay? It's, not, not a, it, it's actually cloth that's made out of goat hair. Little bit itchy. Very coarse and uncomfortable. And base, I want you to imagine wearing burlap underwear. Because that's basically what goes on here, okay? It was a sign of humility and repentance, saying, actually, I've become so uncomfortable with the sin in my life, it's actually rubbing me raw. And it says, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, and covered himself in sackcloth. And he sat down in the dust. And then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, don't let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. They even covered the pets. Let everybody call urgently on God, give up their evil ways and their violence. And then I love this. He says, who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Guys, that's repentance. That's when you're cut to the heart. And I want you to imagine Jonah marches into the biggest, baddest city in the world. The most violent military machine in the ancient world. He preaches a sermon of eight words and Nineveh turns to God. Not just a few people. It says from the greatest to the least, the panhandler in the street to the king on his throne, they were overturned. They were stabbed in their heart and they actually put on sackcloth, repentance. They fasted. They said, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna deny my flesh because my soul is grieved. An entire nation turned upside down by an army of one. One man who had the guts, the fish guts, to preach God's word and watch it change the world. Why? Because he obeyed the word of the Lord. My question is, I wonder what word of the Lord God has for you to obey. And what assignment or mission hinges on your obedience today? See, in order, guys, to live a life of significance, not just success, yeah, success is over here, 
eternal significance, it means you have to let go of certain things. Back in verse 4, it says, Jonah started into the city, and the, and the Hebrew term for started is halal bo. It, it, it means to, to let go or untie. It means to actually loosen your grip on something. In other words, to obey God, you got to let go of something. If you're going to follow him into the destiny that he has for your life as part of his story of redemption, God may call you to go to some place like Nineveh, something to do something you don't naturally want to do. And like Jonah, you actually have to stop clutching something and let go of it in order to get there. there there's, a, there's a tug of war. It's like my friend who just let go of her corporate career. She said, i got to follow God, so I'm kalal bowing. I'm, I'm, I'm letting go of that corporate career to walk into the purpose he has for me. And to do that, guys, people are going to look at you weird. People are going to they're, they're criticize you for doing stuff like that. If you decide to let go of something very precious like your career or like a relationship with, you, with somebody who you know God has better for you, people are going to say, why are you doing that? That doesn't make sense. Dude, don't get so extreme. Or that just seems stupid. But you actually have to let go of other people's opinions in order to follow Christ. You actually have to release your grip on what others think of you in order to obey the invisible God. So God may be calling you to let go of a relationship that is dishonoring to him. Maybe you're in an abusive relationship. Maybe you're dating someone who doesn't share your commitment to Christ and it's, it's, it's compromise. You may have to let go of that. And it's scary, but you got to kalal bow to receive the future that God has for you, his best. So that's a question for you. What are you holding on to right now that God's been prompting you to release so that you can enter his plan and purposes for your life? Last week, from the belly of the beast, Jonah taught us this truth. He said in his prayer, remember this? Those who what? What's the word? Cling to worthless idols, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. There's grace waiting, but I'm holding on to this thing. Those who cling. I'm holding on to something that I actually think is more valuable than God. That's just called an idol. <laughs> People who cling to their Money, people cling to their addiction, people cling to their fear, or cling to their ministry. Ooh. Yeah, that was my idol. In the early days of our church, guys, four years ago, some of you know this, four years ago, I had a wake-up call, okay? We had just started this church, and I was, like, really into it. I was working 24-7, round the clock, just loved it because it was exciting, it was new, people were coming, lives are changing. And I just, like, got caught up in the excitement of, you know, like, if you're an entrepreneur, you know what I'm talking about. You just, you just eat, breathe, and sleep it. And as I kind of poured everything into this church, my wife was at home dying of loneliness. I remember coming home one afternoon, and she was sitting on the couch, and she had her head down. I said, hey, what's going on? And she looked up, and she was crying. She had mascara coming down. I go, sweetheart, what, what's wrong? What, what's the matter? And she just goes, you love her more than me. And I was like, love her? What? what? Love, love who? And she goes, that stupid church. Bing! Wake-up call moment. For months, I had been spiritually, emotionally absent at home. Physically present, but, you know, emotionally MIA. And my wife, Colleen, had been super patient. She'd been, like, very gentle, like, you know, you really are there all the time. And, you know, don't, remember, you still got a wife and kids, you know, kind of thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, but, you know, a few months, it'll get better. It never gets better. And suddenly, it all came out on the couch, as it always does. I was having an affair with the church I was addicted to ministry, and it was doing damage to my wife's heart. And that's when the ugly truth hit me, that ministry wasn't about God anymore. It was about me. It was getting my needs met in an unhealthy way. It had become 
an idol, something I cling to. That's a very common trap for pastors, by the way. Most of us are world-class people pleasers. <laughs> and I should have known better. I'd seen a lot of leaders growing up kind of sacrifice their family on the altar of ministry, and I was like, that'll never happen to me. But here I was, my wife on the couch with tears coming down, and I can't stop them. And that was the moment my heart, my heart was pierced. It was overturned. I will never forget that. I, everything I'd given myself to was exposed and shaken out, and I realized the damage that I had been causing. And so I repented to Colleen. Not just in word, you know, I'm sorry. We took a machete to my calendar. <laughs> I canceled stuff. We set up all sorts of boundaries. I actually learned to say, no. <laughs> to start disappointing people. Some of you, I apologize. It was scary. I had to apologize to staff, to this church. Some of you remember this. And from time to time, I like to bring this up to remember as a reminder to me. To, to, to kind of recall that painful season in my life of personal failure and then repentance. Because looking back, it was one of the best things that ever could have happened to me. I praise God that happened to me when I was in my 30s. Five years later, our marriage is healthier than ever. Our church is healthy. But it took my heart being overturned yeah, for me to repent and change my ways before God. Reset my priorities and, and put my family actually ahead of the, the church so that the Lord can lead this in a sustainable way. I shudder to think right now if I had rationalized my sin instead of repented of it. Listen to me. A growing relationship requires regular seasons of repentance. That is true with humans. It is true of your relationship with God. In order for me to grow deeper with my wife, there needs to be regular repentance where I just own it and don't make any excuses and just, I'm so sorry. I'm so... Same thing with God. For you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ, you have to, rep you have to let go at times. I had to release control of, of, of this ministry, give more responsibility to others whose shocker are more talented and capable than me. <laughs> so here's a question for you this morning. Think of your key relationships. Do they include specific times of repentance? Not where you just say, hey, I'm really sorry I hurt you on the surface. But repent deep down. You change your lifestyle because God cuts you to the heart. Those who cling to worthless idols. They forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Jonah's like, learn from me. God has such grace for you. This could get so much better if you would just let go. If you would be willing to follow Christ with your whole heart, if you kalal bow, gosh, what could happen? It may seem scary at first, but you know what God says? God's like this. I need one man or woman who is all in. What I could do with one man or woman who surrenders everything, their entire life to me, I could change a church with that. I could change a family with that. I could change a nation with that. That's what Jonah did. His life changed a country. When the Ninevites changed their minds, God actually changed too. Look at the last verse. It says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had what? He had compassion, grace. It didn't bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Repent means you used to think like this, but now you have new facts, and now I go like, think like that. God said, I actually have new facts. 
And God, in some sense, repented. He turned and changed his dealings with man. He's not repenting of sin, but he's repenting in the way he deals with us. He has mercy based on our obedience to him. How does that apply to you as an individual? How does that apply to us as a country? I read an interesting article earlier this month uh, about the state of our country by a cultural commentator named Joel Rosenberg, and here's what he said. He said, is America at a Jonah moment or a Nahum moment? Books of the Bible, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, two different prophets. When Jonah went to Nineveh and preached God's truth, the people repented. God decided not to judge them after all. What happened after Jonah? A hundred years later, the next generation of Ninevites grew up, and guess what? They turned from repentance. They just went back to the old way of doing things. Wickedness, violence, they were actually more bloodthirsty than before. They were vicious people. And so the Lord sent a second prophet named Nahum to preach one more time. But that time, the Ninevites didn't repent. They didn't pray. They didn't fast. They didn't let the discomfort of their sin actually convict their heart. And you know what happened in Nahum? Well, I won't tell you what happened in Nahum. Historically, in 612 B.C., Nineveh was utterly destroyed. And Rosenberg writes, today, we as Americans must confront this question. Is America in a Jonah moment or a Nahum moment? That is, will we hear the word of the Lord that we've strayed far from the teachings of the Bible and allowed our land to become polluted with abortions and pornography and violence and wickedness of all kinds? Will we admit how far we are from God's plan and purpose for our lives? Will we confess that our hearts are far from Christ and plead with the Lord for his mercy and grace and forgiveness? Will we fast and pray and seek God's face and implore Christ to give us a third great awakening? Or will we ignore the word of the Lord and continue in our sins and watch our nation continue to decline or even implode? Guys, twice in American history there have been spiritual awakenings, right? I mean, you think about that, the, the great awakening, the second great awakening, but nowhere in scripture has America been promised a, a spiritual revival in the 21st century, a third great awakening. But you know what Rosenberg writes? He says, but who knows? Who knows? Perhaps the Lord will show us mercy and forgive us if we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. If we don't repent and turn back to the Lord Jesus Christ, we may very well consign ourselves to suffer the fate of the Ninevites during the time of Nahum. Those are sobering words, yeah, for the institution known as America. But let's apply it to you as an individual. Are you facing a Jonah moment or a Nahum moment? Because at the end of the day, God wants to treat you with compassion like the Ninevites. Scripture says he's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He wants no one to perish. That is why he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross in our place to give us a do-over. The wrath of the father is poured out on the son. And he says, you know what? I'm going to give you a new life. And then I'm going to use that life. I'm going to send flawed preachers like Jonah and Tim Lucas and Tom to call you a shaney again to repent. Is God calling you a shaney this morning? If he is, cumulac. Go now. Do it immediately. Because he's a God of second chances. And that's what we want to give you as a congregation this morning. Just kind of a, a chance to meet with God. I want to close by inviting some of you to actually come forward to the altar so that we can pray for you. We're going to have our campus pastors, and we actually have some prayer team members who are going to come down now. 
And they're going to be up here just to pray with you. Maybe there's a specific issue that you're facing today. Let us walk alongside of you. There's no shame or guilt or judgment. There's rejoicing. We're thrilled. That's why we exist as a church. This is the one thing we get to do that our culture can never do. Our culture can offer excitement. It can offer compromise. It can offer a lot of fun things. But as a church, we get to receive the forgiveness of Christ. You can walk away saying, I know I have been cleansed from the inside out. And I'm not going to walk in fear or shame or guilt anymore. I got a whole fresh start with God. If that's you, I want to invite you to come up either side. Just come up either side. Our worship team's going to provide a little music in the background. And then we're going to worship as a community. But come on up. Come on. Yeah, go ahead. You can come on up. Come on up. I'm going to pray right now. As I pray, just come on up down the aisles. Father God, I pray and thank you. Cumulot, God, praise you, Father, for coming. We praise Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who's present even right now in the promise. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Holy Spirit, come right now. Just begin renewing your people. Renew your people. Thank you, Lord, for repentance. Thank you that the time is now. You can just come on up. We'll pray for you. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.